Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 54 and this one is a special we're going to take questions related to the interview that I did in episode 198 with uh, Dr. Jan Olbrecht because that episode really generated a lot of questions and comments so I want to take the time to to respond to those today. Before we get into that big thanks to our sponsors first we have Precision Hydration they recently published a great blog post that is very timely with Kona coming up in a little more than a week at the Ironman World Championships. And that blog post is called How Humidity Affects Your Hydration, Endurance and Performance. And it talks about a lot of really important things like the heat index and how to use that, how to manage your humidity or humid conditions with guidelines on acclimatization, which... Uh, for a quick note, it takes roughly 14 days to acclimatize and also guidelines on hydration and pacing. Just as an example with the heat index, which I found pretty interesting is that if we take an air temperature of 80 Fahrenheit or 26.6 Celsius and the relative humidity is uh, 35%, which is uh, a pleasant and not very humid, and then we increase the humidity to Kona like 90% humidity, that heat index will push that 80 Fahrenheit or 26.6 degrees Celsius up to 86 Fahrenheit or 30 degrees uh, Celsius. So a big, big difference there. It's a really great read, so definitely check it out on the PH blog. And if you are racing Kona, maybe you can still do some last-minute preparations and learnings regarding humidity. If you want to try Precision Hydration's electrolyte products for free, you can check them out on precisionhydration.com and use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. One of the major benefits of using Roka wetsuits and trisuits, and in particular using them together, is that both wetsuits and trisuits use arms-up technology. And this means that uh, both of these uh, pieces of apparel are designed to have your arms and hands above your head, the position in which we are swimming. So you won't be restricted mobility-wise the way that you would be with most other wetsuits that don't have that sort of design in them. And that's something that I love with uh, using the Roka tri-suits. I use the Gen 2 Elite and wetsuit, the Maverick X, that I really feel very comfortable. I feel very mobile. So it's just a really pleasant experience. It feels like swimming completely unconstrained, but of course a lot faster because you're in a, a fast wetsuit, which is really, really fast. So check out these products and others on roca.com and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS, all caps. All right, so the questions then. But before we get into the questions, let's start with some major disclaimers here. Uh, first, I think that it rarely makes sense to completely turn your program or training upside, da upside down just because of uh, one podcast episode you listened to or YouTube video you watched or whatever it may be. Remember always that there are also other perspectives and views. And uh, if there was one single way that worked, then every successful athlete would train that way. And all of these athletes would probably train with the same coach or at least coaches following the exact same philosophy. And this is obviously not the case. So my point here is that things are not black and white and it's not necessarily right or wrong either. There are many, many shades of gray. And remember that context is always king. So that's 
really, really important to remember that context is, is really important to consider here. Also, remember that more often than not, simplicity beats complexity and perfect is the enemy of good. So these are just some things too that I really think are important to consider, especially for self-coached athletes. The most successful coaches and athletes, I think, learn from and gain insights, insights from multiple different perspectives without falling into the trap of completely overhauling what already works. And it is very easy to get excited about things when you learn something new. But for that reason, I think it's important to have a system that helps you avoid this sort of shiny object syndrome. And personally, what works for me in terms of having a system to help me avoid that, because uh, I would definitely fall prey to it if I didn't have a system, is I always let at least one month pass from the time that I hear about something new, cool and exciting that I think I want to try this right away. I make sure that I make a note in my calendar to go back and check in on that in one month and don't take any action until one month has passed. And then if at that point, one month later, I still think it makes sense, I still think it's exciting and I still think it would be beneficial to try it, then I go ahead and do it. But after one month, then I typically have a more, I guess, neutral perspective and I'm not. A, I'm over that initial phase of pure excitement so I can make a, a better sensible decision that is uh, based on pragmatic thinking. So that's, that works for me. Uh, whatever works for you is good, but uh, yeah, just don't completely overhaul what already works just because you hear something new and exciting. That being said, we can all learn a lot from episodes like the one with, with Jan. There was a lot of great information and, and great thought-provoking ideas in there that uh, makes us all think, hopefully critically and analytically, and hopefully without losing sight of the forest. So keep that in mind, and also keep in mind that my answers to these following questions are my own personal perspectives and interpretations not by any means facts or right or wrong answers so with all of those disclaimers out of the way let's get into the questions the first one is from ricard in sweden who writes it would be interesting if you could talk about the capacity boosting training that uh, jan olbrecht talked about in episode 198 he gave an example on a swimming workout on the aerobic capacity side but it's not clear to me how you would translate that into running or cycling. It would also be good with an example of an anaerobic workout, which, uh, if I understood it correctly, Jan thinks is needed uh, at least once per month. Keep up the good job, regards, Ricard. All right, so just to recap a little bit, we have in Jan classifies different training types in four different categories. So we have aerobic capacity and anaerobic capacity. Aerobic capacity means simply increasing your maximal oxygen uptake or your VO2 max. And anaerobic capacity means simply increasing the maximal glycolytic rate or the VLA max. Then we have the power workouts and we also have aerobic and anaerobic power just as we had aerobic and anaerobic capacity. And power he describes as fine tuning. So aerobic power is maximizing the use of the VO2 max or the maximal oxygen uptake during competition efforts. So we all often talked about, talk about fractional utilization. How high a percentage of VO2 max can you operate at when you're at your race intensity? Uh, that's, uh, that goes into the aerobic power side of things. And then we have anaerobic power. And similarly, it's maximizing the use of your maximal glycolytic rate or your VLA max during competition efforts. And anaerobic power really is more important for for swimmers that might be focusing on the 
50 meter, the 100 meter, and the, maybe the 200 meter race distances uh, rather than us triathletes. But uh, it's something to like just for the complete picture. I want to include here to to show you the differences between all of these four uh, classes. So to give some examples, these are examples from Jan's book Science of Winning. I going to need to zoom in my computer or zoom in the picture in my notes here so I can see what I'm actually talking about. But uh, for the aerobic capacity side of things, uh, the example here in the book or one of the examples is uh, these are all swimming workouts, by the way, six times 500 meters. And the rest between these intervals is 20 seconds. And in the first and second of these 500 meter intervals, Jan suggests splitting uh, these 500s or alternating 50 meters very fast and 50 meters easy. So you'd only do this the first two intervals and then the, the final four intervals, four times 500 would be just as at, an, at an endurance effort. That's an aerobic capacity workout. So in total, you would do you would do five times 50 plus five times 50. So 500 meters of hard work. And that would be as alternating 50 very fast and 50 slow. The anaerobic capacity workout here from the book is three sets of two times 25 meters all out with 30 seconds rest, one times 50 meters all out with 90 seconds rest. So 300 meters of total work at all out effort with uh, long relative rests. So at least twice or two to three times the, the duration of the actual efforts. Then on the aerobic power side of things, the example here is, uh, for example, five times 300 meters with a rest interval of 20 seconds. And then on the anaerobic power side of things, we have uh, four times 50 meters all out with a rest interval of 10 seconds. So that's a brutal workout. And uh, Jan also talks about in swimming that anaerobic power workouts can be replaced by racing. So actually doing tune-up races. And that's something to keep in mind. So to translate these kinds of workouts to cycling and running, we just need to roughly translate the swim distances to durations. So for example, the aerobic capacity workout with 6 times 500 where the first two 500s were 50 meters very fast and 50 meters easy. That could be translated to something like two sets of five times 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, or maybe up to 45 seconds on, 45 seconds off, where the on is uh, very fast or very hard, and off is very easy. And then taking some additional rest in between those sets, of course. So in total, we still have, well, depending on whether we do 30 seconds or 45 seconds, we, we still get roughly only five to eight minutes of high intensity work in that aerobic capacity workout. So not much compared to the conventional thinking that you need at least 10, but probably preferably 15 to 20 minutes of time at VO2 max to, to really see an improvement in aerobic capacity to put some context to this. On the anaerobic capacity side of things, how we could translate that workout that I described, uh, it could be three sets of two times 15 seconds max intensity, 30 seconds rest, followed by 30 seconds max intensity, 90 seconds rest. In total, that's three minutes of high intensity. And on the aerobic power side of things, the five times 300 meter swim workout could be translated to five times four minutes with 20 to 30 seconds rest. And the anaerobic power workout with uh, four times 50 meters all out would be four times 20 seconds or maybe up to 30 seconds with 10 seconds rest. So there would be 
how I would answer that question. Hope that helps. The next question is from Antonio who writes, Hi Michael, I just wanted to say that I enjoyed every single minute of episode 198 with Jan Olbrecht. It actually makes me think about everything I'm doing and if I'm doing the right training or not. I'm always thinking about the balance between quantity and quality and if I'm balancing correctly for me. It seems quite complex to implement an effective method to find the right balance, but can I assume from what Jan said that it is possible that in an amateur mid-distance triathlete like me, it's likely that I need to spend the majority of the time that I have to prepare for a race in building and supercompensation periods. Thanks again for your time and the amazing content on your podcast. Thanks for your question, Antonio. Uh, this is a really good question. First, to start off, I would say that at the end of the day, you are always an experiment of of one, n equals one. So you and your coach, if you have one, should plan according to what you think will work, then see how it works, if it works, evaluate and make modifications as needed for next time, regardless of what you can hear on a podcast, read in a book or anything. You are an experiment of one and uh, you need to treat yourself that way. Uh, but in terms of like how these concepts that uh, Jan talked about, uh, he says that most training time should go to developing capacity, which means either a so-called build week where we focus on workouts, a lot of easy workouts, but some workouts that, that focus on increasing your capacity, kind of like a couple of those that I just described. So that would be a build week, having having a couple of those workouts maybe, and a recovery week would be just an easy week with lower volume and minimal intensity to allow that supercompensation to take place. And in contrast, the power training, I described the power workouts in the previous question. Those are more like your sub-maximal longer steady state workouts, at least when you're talking uh, aerobic power, which is relevant for us athletes. Anaerobic power is not really relevant for us. But those longer steady state workouts, uh, they're only in uh, Jan's mind a very short period, very few weeks leading into the race. I think he talked about two or three weeks in the episode. So yes, your interpretation of what he said is correct. Most of your training time would be spent uh, in those build weeks or supercompensation weeks, as you call them. So basically building your capacities and then recovering so that you can adapt and actually see those improvements. And to put this in context, I think that a lot of great coaches, they really do sort of follow this uh, this approach in that they really focus a lot on actually developing the athlete and focusing on the athlete's engine and other limiters like strength and conditioning building the chassis rather than focusing on race specificity and one great example that comes to mind is the norwegian triathletes i remember when i interviewed Arild back in episode i think it was 154 but i may be wrong but i asked him specifically would you say that your approach is mostly about building the engine rather than focusing on race specificity? And uh, he answered yes. And uh, just recently, a month ago, Gustav Eden winning the 7.3 World Championships without any specific 7.3 preparation is a perfect example of how well that can work to just focus on building the engine and race specificity is not the be-all, end-all. So, so that's, uh, I totally agree with, with that. And I do think that a lot of athletes, self-coached athletes in particular, end up doing too much race-specific training and not focusing enough on improving their weaknesses and uh, their abilities as athletes, their capacities, if you will. 
Uh, that being said, with Jan's example of um, example of mentioning two or three weeks as being that power training or race specific uh, training period, I think that for something like an Ironman or 7.3, my personal opinion is that that's not enough if we're treating this race as an A race and we're actually really focusing on it and want to do well in it. I would tend to prescribe four to eight weeks of race specific training in my coaching and and it really depends on the distance an Ironman would might typically have actually a little bit less race specificity than a 7.3 because an Ironman is a lower intensity so less useful for building the engine in my opinion than 7.3 training this also depends on the speed of the athlete of course so in some cases that does not hold true but for faster athletes I would definitely say that that's the case uh, but uh, for example, for somebody's first Ironman for the season, the race-specific prep might be on the longer end, so maybe six weeks, maybe even eight weeks in some some cases. But if it's their second Ironman of the season, then going for a shorter four-week race-specific preparation goes a long way, four to five weeks maybe, and because they already did an Ironman and probably had a good block of training going into that with maybe that six to eight-week uh, time frame. So that's to give you a bit of an idea of how I view this and my own perspective. One one more thing, it's important to note that even though uh, Olbrecht categorizes training here as capacity training and power training, that too, I don't think personally, is very black and white, white because I've seen some athletes have great increases in VO2 max, so aerobic capacity, after doing blocks of training focused on very much on mid-zone work, like doing sweet spot training and strength endurance low cadence type of training so do remember those shades of gray and uh, it's not to say that a week where you don't do any vo2 max intervals or anaerobic intervals that's not a wasted week you might still have been working on your capacities if you if you will it might still be a good build week uh, so uh, so don't see these categories as really black and white because it's it's not as simple as that uh, it would be uh, easy if it were but uh, but i think there are it's very difficult to to predict how different training types will uh, it will impact your your physiology and and how you will react to it so so that's an important thing to remember as well but thank you for your question antonio and uh, good luck with your training the next question is from olaf who is uh, from sweden like Ricard, so a lot of questions from Sweden. Thank you for being so engaged and active. I really appreciate it. Olaf writes, thanks for a great pod. After listening to both Weber and Olbrecht from the same school, uh, Olbrecht speaks, speaks of uh, short intensive workouts to improve aerobic capacity and speaks of mitochondrial recruitment. Weber, on the other hand, would label that type of training as a workout mostly to improve anaerobic capacity. And Weber stated that four times four minute intervals or VO2 max intervals would be good for increasing aerobic capacity, while Olbrecht would label this more as a power workout and power workouts could reduce capacity. Weber does not mention power workouts or is this somehow hidden in another terminology? Could you clarify? Yes, great question, Olaf. Thank you for this. This actually, the workout type that Olbrecht described in terms of improving aerobic capacity that's one of those points where I was the most surprised and probably not quite in agreement with Olbrecht from my perspective and uh, another example that I can bring up here is that from everything that we've learned and I learned from Professor Paul Larson in the, in the interviews with him on the science and application of high intensity interval training 
and from taking his course with the same name hit science he too would be of the opinion like weber that intervals like four by four minutes are more likely to give a bigger boost in aerobic capacity than the type of workouts that Olbrecht talked about. And since Paul Larson's work with HIT science is, is all based on basically assimilating all the published research that, that is out there, the published research seems to be on, on that side rather than on Olbrecht's side. That's not to say that Olbrecht is wrong. We know that research typically lags behind practitioners, of course, and we know that workouts like sprint interval training, for example, uh, which is uh, something like four to, to six or seven times 30 seconds all out and then four or five minutes, very, very easy recovery. A workout like that would be considered an anaerobic capacity workout typically, but those type of workout types of workouts have also been shown to yield great increases in VO2 max, depending on the subjects. Aldrich made a point about mitochondrial recruitment, as you mentioned. Uh, it's not something that I'm honestly, like, I can't comment any more on that than what Aldrich said. Uh, another thing that came to mind to me is that he also mentioned that since lactate produced anaerobically through glycolysis is used as an energy source in the aerobic metabolism, if we don't produce enough lactate to challenge the aerobic system to process it and, and deal with it, how can we expect it to improve? Well, of course, lactate is only one of the variables here in the aerobic metabolism, but uh, at least this is also a reasonable argument. So there are some arguments for why Olbrecht's type, types of workouts would work. Uh, again, lactate production here would be higher with that very high intensity that he prescribes. And so, so that's another, another side of the coin as well. On the other hand, what most research is interested in, and this is based on the fact that the time at VO2max seems to be the best determinant of how effective a training protocol is at eliciting improvements in VO2max. Well, most research is therefore interested in specifically how much time at VO2max or at or near VO2max can we elicit with different workout protocols. And I can say for sure that the workouts that Olbrecht suggest uh, they certainly wouldn't be ideal for yielding a high time at VO2 max, whereas something like the 4x4 four four minutes is perfect. You would get a really high time at VO2 max with that type of workout. So uh, not easy to answer, uh, but I hope that uh, I gave you at least some more input and you can form your own opinion based on that. As for your second question regarding Weber not mentioning the power workouts and if this might be hidden in another terminology, Yes, it's kind of, it kind of is, I think. Essentially, for endurance athletes in that race-specific preparation, a typical strategy that Weber would talk about would be to do more of those sub-maximal workouts, so longer intervals with shorter recoveries. Think tempo workouts, sweet spot workouts, strength endurance work. And that will lead to an ability to, uh, to lead to better fractional utilization. So in other words, we can operate at a higher percentage of our VO2 max at sub-maximal intensities like race pace. And also, uh, we will we'll be able to use less glycogen or carbohydrate and re rely more on fat. Uh, because the, the things that happens here, the, physiologically, uh, we get a decrease, a reduction in VLA max. And uh, for that reason, we, we see both of these effects. So better fractional utilization and uh, less reliance on glycogen and carbohydrate and more reliance on fat. 
Another thing that we see with these workouts, and uh, I would refer you to the episode that I did with Don Lodang in uh, for this, it's that uh, practicing these sub-maximal intensities, it will lead to a greater economization at intensities, sub-maximal intensities like race phase. In other words, for the same amount of oxygen used, we can move faster. We are more economical. So, so those are the, the effects there. And, uh, and the power workout simply, so these, this type of sub-maximal work would uh, be, in my perspective, those, I would consider those power workouts, although they are not exactly the same type of workouts com- comparing like something like three or four by 20 minutes at sweet spot with what I answered in the first question here, taking from the book, an example power workout, aerobic power workout for a swimmer being, five by 300 meters with 20 seconds rest uh, it's a big difference there in uh, the time uh, the duration at intensity so with uh, with the book example and and considering something like tempo workouts and sweet spot workouts which especially for long distance triathletes can be really really long uh, i do see that but i would still label these workouts as well the submaximal ones at below threshold i would label them as power workouts and uh, yeah, I think that that Albrecht would too, because they wouldn't be anything else than that. They wouldn't be capacity workouts, at least in his terminology. So I hope that that helps explain the different terminologies a little bit. Now, the final question for today is from Howie, who writes, I want more information about the simulation models and programs. How is the lactate data actually being used? And also, after you reread his book, can you have him back? To, on to talk more i'd love to listen to alan Cousins and jan olbrecht together since it sounds like they're 100 in alignment so thanks howie for your question regarding the the software and the simulation program i asked jan about this off air and it sounds pretty similar to inside but Jan's software obviously relies on lactate data which inside doesn't need for cycling at least although it does need lactate data for other sports there are probably some differences in assumptions and constraints between these two programs, given that there are slightly different inputs required. But by and large, it sounded like the principles are similar. Uh, Jan's program is not available. It's uh, proprietary and he's only using it with, uh, with the, the, the athletes and coaches that he work with. Uh, regarding your second question about uh, Alan Cousins and Jan's similarities or differences, uh, I'm not sure that they are in uh, 100% alignment, or I think that they're not. Maybe Alan will listen to this and want to comment himself. But from my perspective, I see Alan as somebody who would prescribe much higher training volumes than Ulrich would. And I also think that the intervals are quite different. If I recall correctly from my discussion with Alan last time, uh, Alan's intervals are at high intensity, but not at max intensity. And uh, they are quite short so even though the intervals are maybe somewhere between threshold and vo2 max intensity uh, they're quite short so lactate is kept pretty reasonable whereas i think in Albrecht's workouts workouts lactate levels would go pretty high because they are at such a high intensity basically all out even for the aerobic capacity workouts and despite the duration being short I can see lactate going going really high in in those workouts. So I, I I don't think that there are there are some similarities, of course, but but I don't think that that it's that the philosophies are that similar, or at least not any more similar than Jan and any other coach that has been interviewed on the podcast so far. 
So that's about it for today. I hope that you enjoyed this special Q&A episode. I'll link in the episode description to the episodes that I mentioned, including, of course, episode 198 with Jan Olbrecht. And remember to tune in on Monday. I interview Konrad Geringer on training for time-crunched athletes. So that's going to be very relevant for many of the listeners here. Big thanks before we go to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take the free online sweat test to find your personal hydration strategy and use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. And big thanks to Roka for sponsoring the show. You can find wetsuits, trisuits, swim skins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear on roka.com and you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.